it was my first Ozfest, my first full Ozfest. I had uh, Phil Anselmo walked up to me. How you doing, Phil? He's like, what kind of vocal process should you use on stage? And I said, I don't. I use a Beta 58A, man. And he said, no, you don't. What kind of vocal process would you use? And I said, I'm about to play. Come, come watch. And so he came, he watched from side stage. Uh, after the show was over, he goes, okay, fine. You don't use a vocal process. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I need music gear, I always go to Sweetwater.com. If it's mics, headphones, or studio and recording gear, Sweetwater has you covered. Next time you need any music gear, support the podcast by using the link in the description and comment section below. Party? You don't smoke? You don't drink? Uh, I I smoke weed on occasion, but occasion? Nah, not not really. Um, I I I always had found that it um, for me. I just I never could process it really very well. I just mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at it. So like I literally was known amongst my friends as like the lightweight champion of the world. Two drinks, man. I'm ready to go home. You oh, know, that's sick. Yeah, like. When- but I'm also drinking like you know whiskey you know, on the rocks, you know, straight. So not like that. But they're doing shots and they're drinking all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like, I can't keep up with you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, but also I'd wake up the next morning and I know I, I want to go to the gym or I want to go hiking. And I'm just like destroyed, just destroyed. After your, so. after your two Scottish whiskeys. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. So I, I don't really, I don't really drink. I don't really do any of that. And you know, uh, even like studio stuff, like I've had people come in, it's like, oh, I need a beer. And I'm like, no, you don't. You can drink that out later, you know. After. Cause, yeah. Because to me, it's like, you know, if if you have to drink to, and this is just my opinion. It doesn't mean that it's right, but it's just my opinion. But And my experience with certain people. If they've got to use drugs and alcohol to write music or create art, mm-hmm. then that's what's creating the art, you know. Oh. Um, to me, like we should be like... Buddhist monks or something like we should always be, you know, working on our craft so that mm-hmm. it's just there. We don't need something to help break down the barriers or hmm. find that well of inspiration. It should come from us, not from us, yeah. liquor or whatever, you know, weed, whatever. Yeah, that that's always like the mystery when I, I look back or I think when any of us look back on like a record, we're like, okay, you you hear the stories and I'm okay, but I'm always curious. Okay, what what was the order? Mm. right okay are they you know is otep writing and is her band writing sober and then you do the studio and then when and then when you're done there then okay we'll go out and now now we're raging this and then then the stories happen so i'm always curious when when that order and what that order is Tip, uh, it just depends really i mean i i, I like to be around uh, like creatives you know i, I mm-hmm. like to be around creative people who challenge me challenge mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully i challenge them so uh, if they bring in a riff or a beat or you know something like that then we can start working on that but i don't know if they if they wrote it and while they were drinking or smoking then they might have done it at home but they didn't do mm. it in front of me yeah interesting yeah so really it's kind of there's no rule book really no, not really. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll usually have some idea about what I, you know, I have, uh, I think, slight hypographia, which means I write all the time, like on everything. I've got bags and bags and bags of just little pieces of paper, cocktail napkins, whatever I can find. I just write on sometimes when it when it comes to me, and so I'll bring all of it in. And they call what I think they're calling me. Producers call me analog now because I write things down. I don't 
just put it in my phone. Mm -hmm. I couldn't write a song on my phone. I don't know how. Uh, just different era. I like the tactile experience, you know, of writing lyrics and ideas mm -hmm. down. But I'll bring things in, and I'll, I'll I'll usually set all my books out in a circle on the floor. And then if they start playing something, I'll be like, "Oh, I got something for that." And usually, if we're that, if we have that kind of spiritual intercourse between us, that kind of connection, that energy exchange, mm -hmm. then we're already on that, on the same page. So they might bring something in that, um, that already sounds like something that I had been thinking about because we already are on, like the, we already inhabit the same planet of creativity, mm. you know? Okay, cool. Yeah. Guys, it seems like your band started like with no rules at all. Like, so, <laughs> so, so your band started with no musical direction at all. Uh, not well, no, not really. I mean, we we well, we had several ideas of what we thought we were going to be. Okay. Um, but there was the only rule was there are no rules. Yes. So you know, I I mean, I'm from new metal, right? The new metal world, and I carry that moniker with pride because cool. we, you know, um, whoever came up with that, like whoever came up with grunge, it wasn't it wasn't the musicians, it wasn't the bands, it was yeah. some, you know, writer, you know, music writer or something. Same thing with new metal, you know. They they came up with those labels. And so um, for me, uh, like, I, I first met my drummer, Moak, Mark Bistany. He's from Boston, so he has mm -hmm. a really thick Boston accent. So Mar Mark becomes Moak. Mark, Moak. Okay. So um, he had, um, he's one of the best drummers and probably least known, but... Uh, really had done so much for the um, for the music industry. I mean, he he did he could play anything. The cat used to like go into sit in studios with Dre and lay down hip hop beats just all day. Just sit there and just mm. lay down beats, and Dre would take what he wanted and used them in songs. And and so, but he also could play metal and he could play rock and he could play punk. I mean, he just so when I met him, he was really instrumental in like. Our, the bonding of like what we were doing because at the time when I first started the band, um, I was make I was like, I, I mean I was into poetry you know and spoken word and stuff like that and I liked uh, Rage Against the Machine and I liked Slipknot and I liked Corn and Deftones and so and East Coast Underground Hip Hop and like how do, and the, the beat poets so Kerouac and Ginsberg and how do you bring all those people together and um, that's what it was instrumental with Moak and him bringing in the bass player, Jay McGuire, and then bringing in um, the guitar player, Rob Patterson. And, and again, um, the bass player was Berkeley schooled and he's jazz bass, but he could, but he was also into Mashuga and like weird yeah. time signatures. And so it was really this wonderful blend of everything that we could do. And the first time that I ever unleashed um, a, a roar the whole, the whole band stopped playing like they just stopped and so um and they were just like what what was that no it was just an emotional response to where the music was building it was just a crescendo and it just happened and so they they were like we'll do it again you know if you can I was like, I can so we did it again and I did it again and then that kind of like set us on the path of like what we were going to do you know we we're going to sure okay we'll we'll have like like trick on the first album a speed metal riff with uh, blast beats and me rapping over it and screaming trick in the, you know, roaring trick in the, which stands for the revolution is coming um, over the over the song. And so we did that and it, it worked out great, I think. And 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 I've I've never I've always entered with this, you know, my ninth album now, The God Slayer just came out and um, uh, everything that I do 
uh, is from that perspective. Like I just, I just want to make music. I don't care about genre. That's a limitation. That's a, a, a border, a continent that someone else created. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just create music, you know. Did you have any experience with uh, singing prior to that? No. That, that day, nothing. No, I had, I had experience um, in oration, uh, speaking, like, speaking like spoken poetry, spoken mm-hmm. word pieces, things like that. Mm-hmm. But no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't sing in the choir or I wasn't in any other bands before this or anything. It was just, you, just happens. Did you do the uh, spoken word poetry on stage? Um, before that? Uh, in little tiny like, you know, clubs and stuff like that. But no, you know, nothing, nothing of substance really. The first time I ever did anything big with spoken word was when I was on Deaf Poetry on HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my first time ever. And there was, a, and at that time, like spoken poetry was a big thing. And, and like mm-hmm. comedians do, they do like the circuits. And so uh, I had one spoken word artist come up to me and he said, uh, so what, what, you know, I've never seen you on the circuit before. What clubs have you played? And I said, oh, I'm a musician. This is my first one. He goes, so you're doing, the, your first one is HBO Deaf Poetry. So you just play the Super Bowl without ever playing a game before. And I said, well, I do this on stage in my shows. Um, so I guess, and they were just, they did a prayer circle, which, you know, I don't really care about, but they didn't invite me, which was like, Okay, I see. You guys mm, yeah, are tribalistic. Yeah, yeah, All right. So I had this uh, Capitol. I was on Capitol Records at the time, and uh, they had sent down somebody from publicity, and the guy saw it, and he got really offended. So he said, come here. Oh, Tim, come here, come here. He's like, play along. And he grabs my hands, and he's like, old dark lord Satan, we pray to you. you know." And then everybody in the room was like, oh, my God, she's a Satanist. And I'm like, you know, just to scare him. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I was like, a label guy's doing this? Well, All right. Um, but prior to that, no, I, 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 I'd been on, I'd been on stages before I spoke at like, you know, rallies and, and did spoken word stuff and did ciphers like with hip hop and, um, you know, battle ciphers, stuff like that. Little things. Cause that is, that just looks terrifying. It's just, it's only you. Like there's, that, there's no wall to hide behind. Like you don't, you know, you don't get a band behind you. You don't no. got nothing. It's, and it, it is because one, they only give you. Uh, I think two minutes and 33 seconds to, and they, but there's no clock. There's no clock provided. So um, Most Def was the host, and Most Def, if, uh, if a lot of people don't know, he's this like legendary hip-hop artist, legendary lyricist, and he's one of my favorite inspirations, and he was the host. So I got to stand in the wings with him, and I'm just thinking like, oh, God, don't mess up, don't mess up. Most Def is here, most Def is don't here. Don't mess up. Don't screw up. And, uh, <laughs> I still do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, me too, yeah, I know. <laughs> me too. Um, but it's a little more intimidating like when you're, you know, the guy's there, yeah, right? right there. So he's standing there, and then I walk out. They introduce me. I come out, and it's quiet as a church. And the stage is only about eight inches off the ground. So, and the crowd goes around you so you go way out to the front of the stage but you got people behind you watching your back watching your sides watching your front people up there and it's just quiet right and then they've got the they got the the the, cam- the boom cameras that come down and they've got you know and somebody's working that and they've got the other cameras all in your face and you just you just got to get your yeah <laughs> you just got to get your uh get your poem in as quick as possible and and when uh i started Again, like there was like a few giggles, 
uh, to this day, um, uh, as long as Deaf Poetry was on air, I was the only rock artist to ever trans like transfer over into that world. And I'm very proud of that. But you when, uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's most that's like <laughs> me. Like, walks off. I'm like <laughs> I'm like slapping most Deaf's hand, and he's like trying to whisper something in my ear. But I'm so like. Like I'm what? full of adrenaline at that point. What do you say? He said that was so real, and then I was like, "Thanks, man!" And I just like ran <laughs> off stage as fast as I could. But like I said, I walk out. It's quiet, and it's like uh, there's a few giggles and stuff in the audience, you know. And they're like, "Who's this girl?" You know, this wearing this, you know, skeleton hoodie or whatever. And I come out and I start doing this thing, and it's it's autobiographical. I mean, it's uh, what I say in that poem actually happened um, in my family, and. Um, Everybody was still kind of like, because I start off and I'm doing like this little rap. You have seven more seconds to decipher your life before my, my tongue becomes a knife and your brain gets sliced. And everybody's kind of like, what is that? What is that? And then I get to the point where I talk about like, you know, I was born, you know, I was born at seven months. I was born two months premature, um, three pounds, four ounces. And then I, I show why is because my uh, protein donor uh, uh, of the biological side, um, uh, tried to abort me, punched my mother three, three or four times in the stomach while I was, she was seven months pregnant. So I illustrate that on stage and you can see I'm about to do it. And the microphone is here. So I hit myself so hard. You hear, boom, 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 boom. And then it's like gasps oh, in the audience. <laughs> this is, this is intense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome to my life. Yeah. So, um, there's gasps in the audience. And then there's, I can feel the tension lower. And I finish everything. And everybody's applauding. Most Dev comes out and he's like, that's so real. And he actually, they stop it on this video. They stop it before he finished what he was saying. He was talking to the audience like, that was so real. And he actually had a tear in his eye. And I was surprised because I didn't think. And like um, Black Thought from The Roots was on that show that night. And he came up to me afterwards as well. And uh, again, he's a, a lyricist and I'm really fond of. And he came up and he was like, before the show, wouldn't talk to me. After the show, he's giving me pounds and dab and everything. And so uh, then all the poets were clapping. And before they were very standoffish. And uh, um it was it was an amazing experience. That that was really one of the highlights of my career. And, and I did it. It was in New York City, and I did a I had a show that night. So I went over to uh, to do the. Sh I, they brought a car. I went over, did the show, then went, drove back and did a sh did my show that had a night. Show that night. Yeah, you, the Webster Hall. You must have been just pumped with this adrenaline. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got a, New York got a great show that night. I was I was really excited about it. I was really happy. I was really proud of myself because it's really hard to do that. It, um, a couple of the other poets who were were much more experienced than me ran out of time, and so you have like the producer Stan Latham, who's just a, an amazing human being. I'm still friends with him today. Um, you hear him come over like the voice of God. You know, he's like, "You ran out of time. Cut. You do it again." And she's like, the, "She's crying," and you know, they're getting her back together, and then she does it again, and you know. Without, you know, I, they should have put a clock up there, you know, that's what they should have done. So you know how much time you have left. And so because they tell you don't stop for applause. So even when I get like in a, a round of applause, I just you just keep talking because you don't want to get cut off. I don't want to do that whole thing over again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's like a one time thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can only imagine what you go you're like what. So what are you thinking about? And are you, because I because you even like talk about it with your with just performing with OTEP, mm -hmm. like you, you kind of re 
relive those those moments. Yeah, yeah. You have to. I have to. I mean, I'm not an actress. I wish I was. Uh, well, not right now because of the strike. But I wish I was an actress. Uh, they, I did act in a couple of things, and man, they get paid a lot of money to do what we do. Uh, but not at the same level of intensity that we do, that's for sure. And no disrespect to actors, I'm just saying y'all got to give some love to musicians, man, and singers. But um, when I'm on stage, I have, I, I have to summon all those emotions that either cause me to write the, the lyrics, whether or not it happened to me or not, or it's just something that I, I saw mm-hmm. or uh, want to share, um, and, or if it's something that really happened to me. And those, that's real. And sometimes I think maybe some people misinterpret that that I'm, you know, after a show, if I'm still on fire or still full of emotion or sadness or grief or anger or what or joy, tri- triumph, you know, um, uh, you know, they're gonna, they may get a sense of that. You know, I've had people say, well, she was very nice after the show. And I'm like, well, do you see what I just did? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> give me five, like, give me five minutes and then I'll catch my breath and I'll be nicer, you know. Um, but that's usually pretty rare that people have those kind of comments. Otherwise, people are kind of understand what what goes on up there and it's usually a shock to the musicians for sure because they're usually just up right you know a lot of them are just used to getting up there and playing and and like it's a song and that's it and our shows are not like that they're they're more um it's it's for me it's like living art is what it is you know yeah sometimes uh you need you need to mentally come back yeah and you can't just like some people you you see like more all all kinds you see like the version of like they could it's like this on and off switch Mm -hmm. i'm like that's fucking freaky and some need like you need like time (laughs) to like you you need like a light like a like like a wind down period yeah sometimes it could be all night yeah sometimes you know what i i I gave it all out there on stage i'm I'm going to sit here. Especially if you're doing multiple shows in a row. And, yeah. uh, you know, for vocalists too, like, I've got to save my throat for the next show. And mm-hmm. I, so, you know, I can't be very vocal. You know, I, I, I that's the reason why I, I usually just, I'm either, I'm never at the venue during the day, I, except for sound check. I usually go to the gym where mm-hmm. I, don't have, I don't have to talk to anybody or anything, you know. Good. And then uh, uh, I come back and then I, I get ready for, I take a nap and then I get ready for the show. Maybe walk my dog. Yeah. Oh, tip! You're ripped right there. Yeah. When did you start going to the to the gym? Um, geez, I started. Um, I mean, I've always been an athlete, but um, I started powerlifting when I was um, oh, geez, probably 2010, 11, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and I fluctuated up and down. Sometimes I went I went for mass, so I was bulking up, mm-hmm. and that's what that photo was. That was me. Uh, I'd bulked up and then I, I shredded down. So it was a, it was good. And then, uh, and, uh, right now I'm in a transitional phase because one, uh, my eldest brother passed away, um, in a year and a half ago. And, uh, at the same time, um, my, my companion animals are like my children. So, um, I had a little five pound chihuahua who thought she was a Rottweiler. Her name was Chloe Commando. And, um, she, um, developed heart, heart failure. So at the same time, my brother passed away unexpectedly. And that's the last voice you hear on, um, the new record, the God Slayer. If you wait long enough, it's his voicemail that he left me the night before he died. And, uh, I didn't want to forget his voice. So that's why. That's what it was. Yeah, I wanted to. Well, I wanted to memorialize him too, because he he was always so, he was always so supportive of me and my music. But um, I've lost a lot of people, family members, and and in my life, and I don't. I try to think back 
Like my grandmother died on my birthday when I was 13. I can't remember her voice. And so when John mm-hmm. passed, my brother John, when he passed, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to make sure that, one, everybody heard him and how amazing he was because it's such a supportive voicemail. It's so beautiful. And that's just, that's how he was all the time. He was a serial optimist. And, uh, um, but also I didn't want to, you know, voicemails get lost, you you lose your phone or whatever. I didn't want Mm -hmm. that to happen. So I wanted to make sure that I never forgot not only the sound of his voice, but the intonations, how he spoke, you know, the different ways he talked and what words he emphasized and things are very unique to him. Um, But anyway, uh, at the same time, after he passed away, then my dog got really sick, my daughter, actually. uh, And so I couldn't, I was was just in the house with her and dressed all the time because she had to go to the emergency room in the middle of the night or whatever. I had to just jump, throw shoes on, race there. That's totally tough. I gained like 45 pounds. Yeah. 45 pounds? Because I wasn't, I wasn't leaving. I wasn't doing, I didn't leave the bed. I didn't leave the bedroom hardly. So What, what, no, what were you eating? Pizza? No, 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 Vegan no, pizza? no. I was, uh, <laughs> my, uh, I, I was, I was just eating whatever I could, you know, quick, quick stuff. A lot of protein shakes, but also just anything that was quick and easy that I could just eat uh, while I was in bed with her and just something I could just, you know, so, but, you know, atrophy itself is a big deal if you're not moving around a lot. And totally. then also just, you know, throwing food down my face to make me feel better because I'm like so worried about her. And so I, now I went through that and am trying to build back up all the, the gains that I lost when I was taking care of her and grieving my brother. So right now uh, I'm, I'm going for, uh, I'm slimming in my slimming phase and then I'm going to build back up into my, you know, my power phase. Yeah, work on work on your foundation. Okay, now we're, yeah. we're ready to come back. That's right. Yeah. Were you uh, Were you born in Texas? I was in Austin, Texas. Austin, right? Mm-hmm. When did you make the move, and why to LA? Uh, well, my family. I have family in California, in Los Angeles, Long Beach, uh, mostly Long Beach, and um, I liked it here a lot better than Texas. No disrespect to Texas, sure. but it's just the cl- the weather's better for one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I just I found. Um, there was a, I was the only artist in my family and um, at least the only one that was interested in artistic things. Um, so when, but out here it was different. There was a lot of like, there was art everywhere. It was just like in the air. So I kept running away and coming back to California. And uh, I, again, my older brother, John, who passed away, he did the same thing. Uh, we borrowed a car and drove out borrowed. here. We borrowed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the owner didn't. The owner woke up the next morning, found a note. But um, <laughs> oh my goodness, we we borrowed a car when I was uh, young, and he was a teenager. And so we drove out he, out to L.A. and we lived out here for a while. And then my my parents came and got me. And then we moved back. Then we moved here. The family moved here. My fa- my father is uh, uh, my adopted father, who's my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, uh, he's he. Uh, was a sheriff in San Bernardino County for a long time. Mm. <laughs> That's a rough area. It is. Uh, he was a good cop, though. He's a really, really good cop. And uh, so, uh, it's, I, and I got a lot of law enforcement in my family, too, and they were, like, stationed out in 29 Palms and everything. So mm. I, I just, this was my home, and this is where I belonged. And um, my family decided to move back to Aust- the Austin area, like the Hill Country, because they wanted land, mm-hmm. and we wanted to open an animal sanctuary. So we did, and so we have a private animal sanctuary where we save livestock and dogs, lots of dogs. People have this um, 
mistaken idea that if you just leave your dog out in the country, it reverts back to its feral state. But no, they don't. They usually get eaten by coyotes pretty quickly. Really? Oh, yeah. So my father, uh, I mean, at, uh, I think we, the most, we had 37 dogs at one time. Um, because, and most of them were, we just found on the road. And um, there's this one spot where people, it's a dumping site for people. And they just drive out, leave their pets and drive off. Are you serious? Yeah. So... My dad, who, uh, he... Oh, fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked up. So he gets out. Usually he has like uh, two or three nights a week. He gets on his uh, little all-terrain golf cart because <laughs> mm-hmm. they've got huge, huge plot of land out there. And he goes to that spot and, uh, you know, drinking a drinking a beer, goes out, finds a dog, picks one up, calls my mom, says, I got another one, and brings him home. And then they do all the stuff that you're supposed to do to make sure... That the dog's healthy and that it's it's not going to fight the other dogs or you know and all that. So, but we also have horses and livestock and donkeys and goats. Uh, we had chickens, but they didn't they didn't last very long. Unfortunately, we have too many predators on the land. So, I hear uh, chickens have a really hard time with like coyotes are everywhere and they and, yeah. and, and they're sneaky as fuck. Yeah, and I and I never imagined like Texas having that much wildlife, but they do. They've got bob my parents on their land. They've got bobcats, beaver, deer, uh uh wild boar, which are they are very territorial. They yeah. And uh, also um a lot of coyotes, a lot of coyotes. And they're, you know, they're just looking for food. I mean, we moved into their area. That was their hunting ground for centuries and so you know we bulldoze the land we moved into their land so we can't we can't make can't get mad at them they're just doing what coyotes do we just gotta make sure we protect them so we i think uh and that's the thing like you know um you know in in uh in like the dairy industry stuff cows are only allowed to live to be two but we have uh we have cows and um bulls that are like 19 20 years old yeah and still um, I went to visit my parents, and uh, I was on that, that all-terrain golf cart, and uh, I was wearing a. I, I'm really allergic to um, like hay fever and, and pollen and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, my dad had, had just recently mowed the pasture, so I was I was having like a lot of allergies. So I wore like a little mask over my face, surgical mask, um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the bull saw me sitting next to my mom and he didn't recognize me Gus his name's Gus big Gustus and uh he started chasing us and I've never seen a big thing move so fast in my life and I was like my mom's laughing and I'm like he's almost got and he could have flipped us over I mean he's he's strong you know he's super strong and my mom's laughing and laughing and laughing I'm like ma he's not he's coming I'm like turning around looking videoing him like ma he's coming he's close and so she pulls in finally and then she just gets out and she walks over to him and she's like Gus no. And my mom is like smaller than me, right? But, you know, they, they all listen to her. She's the alpha for sure. Yeah, so. I, th- I think animals could understand us with like with, with the way like your fre- like their frequency of your voice and, and, and your tone. Oh, sure. You yeah. know, and also language. I mean, they, they learn, you know, they, uh, they, they learn. That's the wild part. Like, you know, you think about uh, companion animals, typical like dogs, for example, in any mm-hmm. country. They learn the human language, whatever it is spoken. You know, they learn commands. They learn those things. And that's just weird. Like, you know, we can't learn. We don't know dog <laughs> very well. I mean, yeah. certain things we can tell. But um, that's one thing that makes, you know, to me, animals so amazing. They can they can understand our, our language and be trained, you know, by it. 
Yeah, and they understand other languages. That's why we, when you, yeah. it's, it's so funny when you hear someone else talking to like their cat or dog, like a different language than, than yours. Yeah. Because it's interesting, but but that's but the animal knows that yeah. language. That's right. It's, it's yeah. so, that's so bizarre. Yeah, I went to Germany. I, I dated this, I, I dated this, uh, this uh, I had a, a German um, woman and she, uh, we went to visit her her mom and they had they they had a bunch of like three or four dogs and they were all just yelling at them in German and I was like, it's just it was like with that culture shock moment yeah, of like, like hey wait a minute nine what what no yeah <laughs> yeah they, nine, nine they is know no, right yeah Man, you you're screaming at your dogs in German sounds so pissed it it is it's you know from uh, unfortunately World War Two has ruined uh, you know what how we perceive German <laughs> in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways uh, but she was from the Black Forest so that's near France. So it's a little bit more, you know, and that that was another thing that was a culture shock too, is I went to, when I went to Germany, I realized that they have accents like Mm -hmm. this, like in America, you know, like the South, they have a Southern accents and New York, you know, and then all that stuff. And like the same thing happens in, like we went to Berlin and she was from, you know, the closer to France. We went to Berlin and they all knew that they called her in German, they were calling her a country girl because of her, because of her accent. To me, it sounds the same. I didn't recognize, you know, I... Sound like German, but to to them, to they, them like those little yeah. s- subtleties are like, oh, yeah, yeah it's like same thing in Rome. Know. Like the Romans, like they, you know, they had a. They, I went to Rome and they, I had some friends there, and they, uh, some guy from Venice came to visit. It was one of their friends, and he, they were like, I ah, don't listen to this guy. He's Venetian, you know. You oh know, my goodness! What does he know? He's a country boy, you know, because you know, Romans are very territorial about being and very proud of being Roman, you know. Yeah. So it's Rome. Yeah, it's Rome. It's I love Rome. Literally. Oh, I love Rome. It's so a beautiful much. place. Yeah. I've always wanted to see the uh, Colosseum, but never Oh, man. Never seen oh, it. Oh, you got to go. It's one. It's it's amazing cuz the outside you can actually still touch the you know, it's still the the big the big columns that 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 are there that were still. built. Yeah, 2 3000 years ago. It's amazing. 2 3000 year old building. Yeah, and you can once you go inside, they've recreated part of the floor. Where the gladiators used to fight, and then you can go and you can walk through the seats of the Colosseum, and like, and it's basically like a real Colosseum. And some of the senators had their own like seats, and they, it's it's like chiseled in stone, like Senator so and so. That was his box seat, and it's ground floor right there. Damn box seat to yeah. freaking death. Yeah, dude. And they showed where they used to pop the animals out, and Fuck. yeah, you could actually see the catacombs underneath. It's it's great. You you gotta go. You gotta go. Imagine what entertainment was like back then. Bread and circuses, man. That's that's what they did. They they would uh, they'd get the port when when uh, when the the peasants, uh, the vox populi would would start to uh, or the populi I guess would start to uh, to revolt against whatever they thought was going on. They were poor. They were hungry. Uh, they held games, and so and they would throw bread out free, so people would go and then they would watch people fight to the death. Yeah, or you know most of the time it was to the death. That's like the gladiator in, in real life. Yeah. They, oh, they, yeah. You see them, like, you see like those scenes that they're throwing bread out. To us, it's just a movie, but like, mm-hmm. wait, they, they got that from somewhere. That's right. Yeah. That was that was real. That was what they did. That was how they would keep the Roman people appeased. It was called bread and circuses, is what it was bread called. Bread and circuses. Yeah. That's what it was called. And circuses. Literally, people fighting to the death. Yeah. And they would the bring, most, they, would, way. They, would go to, they would go and get exotic animals that Romans hadn't seen before. And, they, you know, they would, they would just slaughter them you know they you know put lions in there and hippopotamus and you know whatever they would find they could they'd put in there and and nero used to fill it up and they'd have um uh he would fill the the coliseum up and they would have like miniature sea battles 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Entertainment back then. Yeah, man. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Otep, how how did you do this? Okay. Uh oh. Four four or five shows. Mm-hmm. No demo. Signed. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, we were just local band, just plan, you know, putting in our dues. We probably rehearsed more than we played live shows, and because uh, and for me, rehearsals are, you know, we don't go in and like screw around you know that's not uh, how I want to do it when I come in I want to be I want to train for the show so that when our if we play we're not out of breath after the first song of course. so rehearsals are dress rehearsals you know I mean if you're learning the song that's something different but once you know the song once we know the set and by that time by, at that time we had like five songs maybe five songs and so we were just trying to get them down and 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 curate them and make sure that these are the right note choices and this is the right vocal choices. This is the great cadence. This is the right beat. That's the right, you know, accent here or whatever. Um, after our first show, we opened for, and I can't remember the band's name. I'm sorry, but um, we played and there was another, it was an A&R there to see the, the headliner and we mm. played. And so they got there early and I, I noticed them because there was only probably 50 people in the venue. And I noticed them and it, they were on their Blackberry. And I was like, okay, this is not, this is not a, you know, a crowd member. Who is this guy? Yeah, and, a cell phone. Yeah, Serious shit. right? <laughs> he was on a Blackberry, right? Yeah. So then, and then uh, the next show we did, uh, n- there was three guys on Blackberries. And then <laughs> that's how you know when they have black bears in her hand. That's right. Yeah. And then they started talking to the 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 guy that was allegedly you know like our manager at the time, and and uh, you know just like okay, what are they got? Who are they? Just asking questions. So we started getting even more like we were getting like I was like this is serious. This is serious. Like I and he said you know you know Los Angeles is kind of jaded. The crowds are and because you know it's the everybody comes here to get. Mm-hmm. discovered a little bit jaded yeah yeah so we were one of the few bands at that time that was actually getting the crowd to move and to to do stuff as an opener as a local band and um i remember we played um the roxy and uh we opened for cold a band called cold i don't know if they're still around or not uh but uh, I went backstage and I sat down and it was a great show. We hit, I hit, I hit this like guttural that was so loud. It like, it made the ceiling collapse and part of the ceiling collapsed. One of these little ceiling tiles at the Roxy came down and uh, I went back into the dressing room and somebody comes in and they said, Hey, Sharon wants to talk to you. And I was like, I don't know. you know, and it's one of those moments, right? After a show I'm yeah. wiped and I was like, I don't know any Sharon. <laughs> and they're like, I was like, I don't want to talk right now, you know, get her information. I'll talk later, you know. And they're like, no, Sharon Osborne. And I was like, I don't know a Sharon Osborne. And they're like, Ozzy Osborne. I, did, I didn't, dude, I had no idea. That's I had it. no idea. I had no idea anybody that, was paying attention to us badass. like that, you know. So like Sharon Osborne, Ozzy Osborne, you know that? And I was like, Oh, yeah, hold on a second. So I start, you know, cleaning up, and I go out there, and she's like, Oteb, darling, you're playing Ozfest this year. And I said, great. Uh, and I looked at, like, the the guy that was standing next to me who's uh, with us, you know, like a uh, – and he, I was like, we're not signed. And, he, and, she, go, and she heard me, and he said, she's like, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. You're doing it. So uh, our first Ozfest, no, we had no demo. We had no – record we were just there 
eighth, and, eighth ninth show. Yeah, Ozfest. Uh, yeah, we were opening. Now, by that time, we had uh, by the time we actually did um, Ozfest, um, we played one more show, and we did um, the Viper Room, and um, the A and R for Capitol Records. His name is Ron Lafitte. Was coming up the stairs, and he heard me, and he said, "I'm signing whoever that is," and so. We were getting bidding wars from different labels, and and I was like nervous because I'm like we're we only have five like we told everybody we had eleven songs we lied, I'm like we only have five songs y'all, uh, and they're like shh I don't say anything be quiet <laughs> 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 stop it you're gonna ruin it so uh but but by that time um we started talking to them and and um when we hit um when we our first Ozfest was in Illinois. And we were second stage, opening for Mudvayne right after LD50 had come out. And Illinois is their home state. So we went from playing, I think the most we ever played at that point in Los Angeles on the Sunset Strip was maybe 100 people, maybe. Maybe 100 people. Walk out and there's 25,000 people in front of us waiting for Mudvayne. They don't, they're chanting Mudvayne. My guitar player at the time, because um, my original guitar player, had he had some personal stuff he had to take care of so we got to fill in and to play with us for the festival and um so the way was that was that his first show um it was his second second show but he he came to us with like i've played for this guy and i know this guy and this guy so you know he kind of brought this like resume but as soon as we got there and he peeked around the corner and saw all those people he he got sick and he would come out of the bathroom and they're like five minutes five minutes five minutes otep five minutes and i'm just like dude Close your eyes. Pretend it's fifty people. We have to go on, and we go on. And again, it's 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 a similar experience to the HBO because it was like a few laughs, a few giggles. Who's you know who's this little? Because I was, I I wasn't I, I wasn't a power lifter then. I was uh, I was a little I was pretty chubby. So I walk out there and I'm like I had you know pigtails and I had a like a. Um, this like head wrap on and and Dickie's pants, you know the old school, you know new new metal stuff, and came out and people were kind of giggling. And then as soon as we hit, we played I think Trick first, and as soon as I hit that first roar, that the pit just went. Dang. And it was on after that. I mean, it was on. And then, you know, uh, so it was it wasn't so much anything that I did other than just playing music and taking it serious and you know making sure that every show counted because that's what I wanted. I never expected to get signed. I never I didn't know anything about music, didn't know anything about the music industry. I just wanted to make music. I just wanted to play music, and it just happened so fast. And I had to learn really quickly the ins and outs, the good and bad. That's very quick. I'm, I'm not sure if people are really aware how quickly you had to adjust. Yeah, yeah, and and also I was, you know, I was the only female on the whole tour uh, uh, during, as far as like a player. I mean, there was like people behind the scenes. Sharon mm-hmm. was running stuff, um, but I was the only female front person, and that was like also um, a big weight to carry. You know, a lot of people. Uh, I got asked like oh, I don't know a million times. So what's it like being a woman in a metal band? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well. Uh, what's it like being a woman in anything, you know, <laughs> or, or being a minority in anything? Like, ask somebody, it's the same answer. Um, it was tough. So, um, but at the same time, it, it, um, it, it allow- being on OzFest allowed me to learn really quickly. Like, I, I studied other bands. I studied what they did. Um, I remember the first time we toured with uh, Slipknot, 
And, you know, there's nine of them. And I brought my guys and we're a four piece. And I said, you see what all nine of those guys are doing? We can never be that, but we're going to do as, as our best job to be as close to that as possible. I mean, look at what they're doing up there. And uh, yeah, what was your main lesson? Because you're when you're, when you're trying to learn from di- different bands, what what are like a couple of takeaways? Uh, not to insult the audience, uh, you know that was a big one because there, there were a lot of bands who were like, "What the fuck is wrong with you guys? Why aren't you hyped up?" And instead, you know, it's to tell them how amazing they are, and. You know, uh, but also um, the bands that I saw when they were on stage, it was it was their moment. They occupied that moment. They owned that stage. It was theirs. And um, they played as a unit instead of just being like a guitar player or a singer or a bass player, drummer. They played as a unit. And that's that's what I learned. I mean, we were trying to do that anyway, but it just sort of. You know, you can only tell people something so many times before they actually see it themselves. And then you can go, see, mm-hmm. that's what we got to try to do, guys. And so I, I think I learned uh, about that. And also I just learned a lot about live performance because I hadn't had much experience in that. So um, that was that was a big one for me too. watching a bunch of like, you know, people that I admired up there just murdering it. And I murdering wanted to do, it. I want to do the same thing. Yeah. Especially with the era you're talking, 2000, 2001, like the era of bands going just ape shit. Yeah, yeah, 2001, 2002 was. We only played um, uh, about, I think we only played maybe three weeks of the first tour because uh, we had to get back and start writing our first record. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we played 2002 Ozfest, it was insane. It was insane. We had people chanting our name. And we were in the rotation, so we would start at 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, and then we'd wait, you know, we'd cut our songs so, because they'd open the doors, and we'd already set up and waiting, and we're just seeing people running across the field to get to the stage. Um, but um, it caused a little bit of a problem with some of the bands because they were chanting our name all day long in between, so, in between bands and stuff, so some of the bands got a little... Got caught up in their feelings. Ah, uh, fan beef. Yeah, and I was, I, I was like, uh, I don't. Know, what do you want me to do? And actually, a manager from a, a band, I won't say who it is, but a band reached out to my manager and said, "You got to tell her to tone it down." No. Yeah, she's making everybody look bad, and I'm just like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing. That. He's like, well, but you know, you got it's, this. Is a, this is an industry of relationships, and I said, but. I don't want that kind of relationship. I'm gonna if they want to if they want to do something, then up their game. Don't ask me to turn mine down. That's ridiculous. Why would I do that? It's like the one thing you're not supposed to do. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> I hurt my one fe- thing. I, don't don't do that. Like that. I was like that was hurt my feelings a little bit. You know, I was like, you're asking me to turn it down because they can't step it up or they don't want to. So yeah, that that's so fucked up. Yeah, it was, like, and, and we we want to see the bands be like as crazy as fucking possible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you you fucking you were insane. Oh, I, that's, you. I, I watched like the old videos. And I'm like, damn, what the? <laughs> Just the era, and then like you're talking. So, so you only so you play a few in two, 2001. The first record's not out yet, and then October of that year, mm-hmm. uh, you go in with with uh, with Terry Date for like six weeks uh, uh, up in Seattle, right? Yeah. How did you guys get hooked up with Terry Date? Uh, he, I, I think the label had reached. Out to, uh, I think the label reached out to him and said, "Hey, you know, here's, here's a, here's. I don't, I don't know how he heard our music or or what, but he did, and um, he was interested in working with us. So he's like, he came down to L.A., watched a rehearsal to kind of really give it like a, 
uh, a thumbs up or thumbs down, really. And Dang, so he came down. So, uh, yeah, uh, man. And he walked in, and, and Terry Date was like the. I mean, he's still amazing, but he, he was, was the guy. he was the guy. Him and Ross Robinson, like they were the guys back then, you know. And um, we um, we went up to Seattle, and that was also life changing for me in a lot of ways because one I'm a huge Hendrix fan, huge Nirvana fan. So I'm in Seattle. Uh, we're we're recording in the studio that's owned by Pearl Jam's drummer. The Deftones had just recorded in there. And so, yeah, and I'm a huge Chino fan. So I was like, and Stefan fan, like I just, you know, I love, I love all of it. But I was like, uh, um, I asked Terry, I said, can you set me up the same way that Chino does his vocals? And he's like, sure. Great question. Yeah. So, <laughs> cause I wanted to feel that. So he put up, he gave me a, there was a sofa and a rug and he. A sofa? Yeah. Uh, I guess Ch it, at least what Terry said. I mean, I can't, I, all I know is what Terry said, but uh, Chino was, was um, recording, uh, sitting down vocals. Uh, he, I think he moved around. It, there was an upstairs area. So he moved on the, he moved on the stairs. He went, he would, he would sing inside the inside, like they put a baffle up and then he would just sit there and he had like a, little port wine and so he would like drink it and there's a trash can so he would like gargle with it between takes and spit it out and so i never had Wait, port wine port wine what the, what the hell is that it's like a dessert wine it's really thick and really strong it's almost it's it's good but it's like it's almost like uh it's strong and it's uh it's like a liqueur almost and so i would uh i would do that but man it was it was almost at first I, it felt like Drinking Robitussin or cough medicine or something. So, like are that. you drinking it or are you? Uh, just it out? gargling, just gargling with it, just to, yeah. Gargling port and wine, spitting it in a trash can, yeah, between takes. So, if you're at, so this is October two thousand one. They just recorded White Pony then. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's some good energy right there. Oh man, it felt great. It was so amazing to be in there. It really was. And then we, then you know, we we did, and there was just so much history in that room and. And uh, it was a lot of fun because we actually could, st we, we lived up in Seattle. We had, we had um, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, they had given us, the label got, got us like these little corporate apartments. And we just traveled to the studio every day. We spent 12 hours a day, six days a week in there. And we went from, we could screw, you know, we could also write more while we were in there. So if we wanted to develop the songs a little bit, we had that opportunity before we got down to recording. And this is when Pro Tools was still, you know, was still like in Infant. its infancy. Yeah. And so everything was recorded to tape. And so that's why, you know, a lot of people listen. Yeah. And I did that for a long time. I still would record to tape and then they would digitize it because yeah. there's just a warmth to it that you just can't get from digital. Mm -hmm. um, they've come close now with like plugins and things. But um, I did that up until I think whew, um, maybe the seventh album. And, um, uh, but yeah, we, we recorded there and I was in a really, you know, it, it was a October in Seattle is like a permanent ceiling of cloud. There's no sun, no sun. And, uh, so that really helped, I think with the, the character of the album, the overall attitude mm -hmm. and feeling, cause I was already in kind of a dark place, you know, um, this was me for the first time opening up my private journals, my private poetry, things that I only wrote for myself, songs that I only, you know, things that I only wrote for me. And then here I am like, everyone's going to hear this. The producer's going to hear it. And uh, like songs like Jonestown Tea, um, which that deals with. That song is fucked. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And uh, again, uh, a little autobiographical. And also, uh, we used to play that song live. And um, I would improv a lot. And so the song, I think, it itself is about 11 minutes, nine, nine minutes, 11 minutes on the album. And then live, we'd play it. Sometimes we'd go like 15, 15 to 16 minutes long. So. Yeah, did you already have that song? So you probably already had it written, obviously. But then there, there, you mentioned a point where like you actually were jamming it in front of people. And then you decided to improv. And then actually what, that's what actually became the song. Wait, we should probably do something with this. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it happened. And, and the band was a little bit, they didn't really, they were nervous about it because they're like, wow, this is, you know, they were hugging me after every, every time we finished this. Finish what did they the do when they first heard that? Um, they were very uncomfortable and they were very, uh, they didn't know what I was doing. So, and they also Sick. didn't know like what, yeah, they, they had no clue. And, Sick. and <laughs> yeah, man, it was, cause I went, I, I went, you know, to some really dark places with that. And, um, the, when I recorded it with Terry, I asked him, I said, so, um, cause when, when I first sat down with the band and they were like, so musically, how do you want us to approach this song? You know, we know what it's about. We've heard it, you know, like what you're saying. And I, I love the doors. And so, um, uh, I said, listen to the end by the doors. And that's, mm. that's where we'll start. And, um, if you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, that's like, uh, that's like the first song that, that is played as they're, as they're dropping Agent Orange all over the, mm -hmm. the canopy there in Cambodia. But, um, I just told him to approach it from that, you know, cause, um, I can still listen to The End by the Doors and those first notes that Robbie Krieger plays on guitar is just so, uh, they, they're, they're transformational. I, I, I find myself losing myself and I've been listening to that song since I was a kid, you know? Mm. So that's how we approached it. And then when I recorded it with Terry, they said, Hey, he just left, he lit a candle and he put me in the um, in the control booth, and he left. And he said, "Just do your thing," and I did. And then after I was done, uh, they came in. Everybody came in, and I left. and And they sat there. And when I, I, I after it was over, I walked back in, and they they were all looking down, and they just all hugged me and said, "We're proud of you." And they walked out. So that was cool. So they were probably in the control room listening to you, just kind of freak out. Uh. Yeah, and just and tell a story, you know. I mean, yeah. tell it, tell a really dark, dark story, and uh, you know. And then, you know, the the songs that what I like to do. I mean, even songs like My Confession, which we still play live today. Um, the 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 idea is that I I I used to read a lot of Jean Paul Sartre, and the ex existentialists believe, you know, you you embrace the void, you mm -hmm. see that there's there's hideousness in this existence but you don't turn away from it you try mm -hmm. to bring beauty to it you try to bring awareness to it you try to fill that void mm -hmm. and so um that's the approach that i had so when you get to these really really dark songs that i write about my confession which is you know uh, it's it's a lot about um someone who's um con contemplating suicide contemplating you know their place in the world if mm -hmm. you know if if oblivion is better than mm. existing and but then it turns around at the end of the song and like you know because throughout the song i'm saying there's no way out there's no way out there's no way out then the outro is you've got to push your way out 
And that's where it gets all hyped. And that's where if you've, you've been to the show, so you see me get everybody jumping and jumping and jumping. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when it goes into the outro. And the same thing happens with Jonestown T. It's about this. It's a very, very long, dark song. But the end turns around and is is really positive. Like, you know, I'm not going to let what happened to me guide my life anymore. And you have you don't have that power over me anymore. Whatever, you know, the victimizer doesn't have the power over me. I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what the song was meant to be. It's a great like mental switch because like your brain automatically wants to go to like the victim mode, but you kind of switched over. Hey, wait, actually, no, I'm not. Mm. And and if you talk to a lot of people who have who've have had similar situations, you know, most of them do identify as being a survivor, not as a victim. They mm-hmm. have survived this, and that's what I I try to uh, support that because they are they're survivors, man. You must have really trusted Terry. I did. I still do. Yeah. I still talk to him every now and then. He's awesome. That's great. But that's one of the, you know, as you know, as a recording artist, I mean, that's one of the things that you want most is you want to be in a room with somebody that you can trust that's going to give you positive and honest feedback and is going to also be maybe a guide for you a little bit, mm-hmm. especially for someone like me who gets lost in myself a lot and lost in my emotions, lost in my writing. I want someone that's kind of, you know, a beacon in that darkness. It's like going to always bring me back and, and maybe offer, you know, a good solution or a good idea or a good path. Uh, and sometimes, you know, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's, it's the opposite. Sometimes it's like, eh, it's all right. You know, yeah. I'll try another song, but not this one. Um, but that's, the, I always want to be around people that I can be vulnerable with. And um, that way I can open up and, and, and give, the fans and the audience and, and, and people who listen, supporters and so forth, um, as I can be as honest as I, I can be, you know, and I think they deserve that. How many songs did you have prepared before you went up to Seattle? Uh, let's see. We had 10. 10. So, yeah. so, so it wasn't five. You're, you're, no, no. We ended up writing a whole okay, lot more good, once, okay. once we knew that we were assigned to Capitol Records. <laughs> you, and You didn't tell Terry Dave, oh, we have five. But. No, no. It, no. And, and in fact, when he came in, we're like, you know, we don't want to waste your time. We're just going to play you the, the, our eight best. And he was fine with that. Oh, cool. So, but uh, yeah, we ended up um, writing. Uh, or we, had, we had some general ideas uh, before we went to Seattle, but then we were able to flesh them out more once we got in the studio up there hmm. with him. Yeah, what was like the writing process like? Um, bef- but more so, maybe let's say for like Blood Pigs. You know, how how did that song really come about? So I I I'd, I'd been writing. I'd, I'd read Lord of the Flies again. I, I like that book a lot. Um, and uh, I know nerd uh, nerd alert. Otep likes books. Um, but but uh, I Lord went to. Flies. Lord of the Flies, man, yeah, and uh, and that's what the pighead stands for because I get a lot of I get a lot of uh, sometimes a lot of hate mongering from uh, vegans who are like, "You're vegan? Why do you have a pighead on stage?" I'm like, "Well, first of all, it's fake, and second of all, it's an homage. It's a literary homage to the Lord of the Flies because in the Lord of the Flies, if people aren't familiar with it, it basically a plane goes down, all the adults die, the children are left on this island, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's it, right? Y- yeah, and so." Okay. Uh, one group is kind of becomes feral and they decide that, you know, they're, they should be in charge. Um, and that in, in order to keep the peace, they tell everybody there's a beast living in the jungle and they're the only ones that can protect them basically. I mean, I'm, I'm 
I'm just butchering the story, but basically mm-hmm. that's it. And mm-hmm. so there's one kid that gets picked on a lot, and um, it, it, they call him Piggy because he's a little chubby little kid. And um, he that's says, crazy. maybe there is no beast. Maybe there's only us. And that's what happens. Like They end up killing Piggy. I'm sorry, spoiler alert. They end up killing Piggy, and they're about to kill this other kid when suddenly a plane lands to rescue him and it's all these it's like you know the royal air force or something because it's, it's i think it's written by a british author mm-hmm. and uh it you know all that stuff that they had done all this murder and all this savagery and everything that they had done in this sh- short amount of time now they've got to go back and be prep school boys and explain why they did that and so uh the idea is that you know there is evil in the world but it it, it exists in the human heart you know so that's mm-hmm. what Blood Pigs was about. It started writing about that. Then it, you know, as a lot of songs do, they, they start to venture out and branch out into other meanings and things. Mm-hmm. But that's where it started. And I remember uh, just kind of reading the lyrics. We were sitting around in, in um, a writing room and we were just kind of reading the lyrics to everybody. And then I think the guitar player at the time kind of came up with a riff and the bass player joined in and the drummer joined in. And then mm-hmm. I started, I go, oh, I got it. I got to keep going, keep going. Just play that circular, circular, circular. And so they kept just playing the riff over and over and over again. And then finally at the the things that I had written started to fall into place. And then I was like, okay, I think I got it. And then I grabbed the mic and then the rest was history. You know, that's that song. Uh, I'll, I, I'm, I'll be not professional for about 10 seconds. I listen to that song a lot. Oh, thank you. A lot. I appreciate that. A thank lot. You. And, uh, it's just, uh, I recently discovered this. I love to do last month. When you go to a restaurant alone mm. and it's eat a dinner, I was having a, a beer and when you listen to music in your headphones alone, just reading lyrics, it's so cool. Yeah, you're like you're like out, but you're in like your own world. Yeah, yeah. And you're just you're just loose. You're having you're having your your dinner. I'm like, that was just something I've done a lot of times with 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 your music, Otep. And Thank then you. I was just I was like, her one. What is she talking about? But I know. But I know. To me, music travels in frequency. Mm. So that, but I, that the words are just hit you in a way. It's like, what is, man? What what trauma is she <laughs> channeling? Because you're because yeah. you're also like a the vocal range that you hit during that song. I mean, has resonated for twenty plus years. Yeah. The way like I just haven't heard someone do it that way. Where like it'll start like you're saying something then it's, it's like this demonic scream mm-hmm. and then it goes like doesn't stop it goes back down mm-hmm. and then like the like the, the very famous obviously like low like roar I'm like what yeah. the I was like how do what the fuck <laughs> how, how did you like that's just it just yeah it just kind of transcends words thank you it's cool yeah. it's you know when when um, when I was first discovering to do all that of course I had listened to a lot of a lot of different inspirations for it and but when I when I went in to do that song I mean it, again it was about just unzipping I could be vulnerable with Terry I could mm-hmm. be I could be who I wanted to be and he just said go for it you know rolling you know press the button and so I did and so those moments where you hear me you know you know going up in in to the that that high banshee scream I call it and then I go back down you know that's just all breath control it's all just maintaining that control and that pain and and that anger and and that anguish and and also I think the determination to overcome it it's there 
that 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 power and so you just you just kind of lock in and 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 it's hard for me to to describe because it's so um instinctual for me to do it you know and like i remember the first time it was my first Ozfest, my first full Ozfest. i'd uh phil and selma walked up to me and um uh you know he's Phil, right? So he comes over, <laughs> yeah. he's got his arms crossed, and he's got this goatee, and he's like, you're OTEP, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm OTEP, man. How you doing, Phil? He's like, what kind of vocal processor do you use on stage? And I said, I don't. I use a Beta 58A, man. And he said, no, you don't. What kind of vocal processor do you use? And I said, I'm about to play. Come, come watch. And so he came, he watched from side stage. And uh, really nice of him because he kind of stayed out of the way so nobody would be like, look, it's Phil. You know? mm -hmm. And um, uh, after the show was over, he goes, okay, fine. You don't use a vocal processor. <laughs> <laughs> and later wow. I just saw him. He was like, he took a nap in the middle of the street, right? Like right where the buses were driving. And no, everybody just, nobody bothered him. I mean, it was different feel back then, you know, of course, you know, but, uh, it was, it was an amazing moment because, you know, I know that, you know, he's got, uh, he's got such a powerful voice, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, for ha to have him come up and do his whole, you know, yeah, what kind of vocal processor do you use? And I've, I've met Phil several, we recorded at one of his, I think he owns part of a studio in, in New Orleans and we recorded a record right after Hurricane Katrina down there and he came and, uh, he was, he was just wild, man. I, I, uh, I had to go in and calm him down because we were trying to record in the other room because he, oh, yeah. he was just so loud in there. I was like, Phil, Ota. I'm like, dude, shh, shh, sorry, sorry. Like, trying to work. Trying to work here, man. You know, we're paying by the hour. <laughs> yeah, because when, when you're like a just a, a, just a casual listener and you're finding out like this new band for like, the first time, you're like... You hear it, you're like, "What? What is that? Hmm. Is that is that possible? Like, what? It, what the heck?" Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it was, yeah. it was, it was. The thing is, is too, is like a lot of people thought that uh, who had just heard the record, like say Blood Pigs, who just heard Blood Pigs, mm -hmm. um, they would be like, oh, "Who's that guy screaming?" Mm -hmm. You know. And then I'd be like, "Oh, that's me." And they're like, "No, it's not." And I was like, "No, it's me." That's me. And I'm like, come to the show. Come see you. See what I do, you know. Um, and even now, people will accuse me of, like, using, like, this and that and that. And then I'm like, okay, go to my Instagram and look at the second video I just posted recently mm -hmm. of, like, just from this last tour of me doing Blood Pigs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it's just me and a I – I actually got a uh, – I had a wireless now because I, 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 I was getting – tripped up by the wired mics but yeah i i uh you can hear it it's live man and it's it's there i mean it's deep and heavy and powerful and and uh uh i i understand why certain people th would think that because they mm -hmm. don't they typically don't see a lot of women and now it's changing gratefully thankfully uh mm -hmm. that women are doing a lot more vocals uh and and doing heavy vocals um, but when I started, it was not very many people were doing what I was doing. And so not many people believed that I could do it. And so, uh, and then once I got into voiceover and I was doing like movies and, you know, video games and things and, and, uh, people quickly were like, okay, all right, we hear that, you know, we hear the monsters and everything that you can do. So 
What a, what, a, what a compliment, though. I, yeah. It's probably, it probably at first when you hear it and you see it, you're talking to them, it's probably a, a, that first initial massive diss, but it's actually, but yeah. the undertones are actually a major compliment. Oh, actually, that's me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, at first, still, it was always like, hey, no, 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 no. And, and, and I, I mean, at first, I, I kind of felt, yeah, you're right. I felt kind of good about going correcting them. Like, no, yeah. that's me. That's me. That's that's all me, man. Can't that's fake me. that shit. Can't fake it. It's nope. real. And if you want to see, I'll be on stage in like an hour, so you can come watch. But like, well, you come watch. I'm yeah, there. I'm right there, dude. <laughs> and you know, it's uh, but you know, the the one that that bothered me the most is when like when we used to do like signings at Fye tents, you know, back in the day mm. at Ozfest, and people would come in and say things like, uh, "Oh, you scream pretty good for a girl." Oh no. And I would just look at him. I go. I don't just scream good, like, for anybody. And uh, they would just be like, no, I, I, I just mean that you just, you, it's, it's, I've never heard a girl scream like that. And I'm like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the way to say it. That's a better yeah. way to say it. Otherwise, it sounds mm-hmm. a little insulting. Obviously, there's part some of that, but there's also some, some of, like, some pe- sometimes people just will, like, be around you, and they're so nervous, they'll, they'll say something. They say, okay, I, I have to say something. Oh, I'll say this. And yeah. then just, it comes out like, oh, is that what I yeah, wanted to that's say? Yeah, I know. I didn't want to say that. That's true. I, it's happened to me. I met When I met Dave Grohl once, I was like, I can't, because you know, my bus driver went to like school with him or something. So they, he was at the, uh, he was uh, on the Sunset Strip and, and uh, I got to meet him and I just looked at him and I just scruffed his beard his little his little beard I was like you're Dave Grohl I can't talk to you and I ran away because <laughs> I was like you're you're in two of my favorite bands I can't I can't talk to you man and he was like oh you're that girl that goes grr and I was like yeah that's me awesome oh my and, I loved, and I ran away yeah yeah. yeah, when someone gives you a, ma- a major compliment, you're like, I think that, that that's your go-to harness runaway. The exit. Exit, exit. yeah. I, like, must, yeah. I must exit this beautiful moment as soon as possible. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Use, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to say something that else that I'm going to walk away with what you just said and keep that, like, right here. And I have all these years. It was pretty amazing. Hmm. You've been, I mean, you're talking, like, the first record comes out. So you're at OzFest 2001 and 2002. Like, you were... Otep, you were really like a pioneer in like extreme vocals for for women. Mm-hmm. Like a really like this one of those early, okay, wait, she could do like anything. <laughs> Holy, well now it's, it's pretty common. You know, you have you have yeah. a, a bunch of sick, sick bands. You're not thinking about like Arch Enemy and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, but back then you did this, it was like, what, a handful of bands? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I, I and, and I was so new to the genre, I didn't know a whole lot. So I, as mm-hmm. far as I knew, there weren't very many at all. And even, even audience attendance, it was mostly male. And if they brought their girlfriend or their mm-hmm. sister, or, you know, a friend or something. And now mm-hmm. it's like the first five rows are all women and getting murdered by the pit, you know, behind them, you know, cause they're getting smashed against the barricades. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, uh, there's, there's, I, I think there's some, I have uh, mixed feelings about it in, in a lot of ways because yeah, I I did go out there and I did put myself on the line for a lot of for um, for myself. I mean, I, when people ask me questions like "What's it like being a girl in this?" and all that, I never thought about it. I didn't think about gender. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about any of that. I just thought I was a singer in a band and I was doing what I do. And people are either gonna like it or they're not. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. think. I'm a woman and I'm doing something that women don't do. I just never thought of it like that. It wasn't until people started asking me, like, what's it like to be compared, you know, to Corey Taylor and Phil Anselmo and, and Chino Moreno? And I was like, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. As the female version, I'm like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's still awesome. But, you know, um, and now that there's so many um, 
artists that are coming up, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that. If I had anything to do with inspiring them or opening any doors or, you know, uh, building, digging any moats, <laughs> mm-hmm. not just drawing a line, but digging a moat, uh, then I'm, I'm proud of that because, uh, you know, we all benefit from when, uh, music is, is, is represented by a, a diversity. We all benefit from it, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've always seen to put your neck out there with, yeah. with pretty much, with pretty much anything yeah. like that, that. I mean, that era, I mean, I'll never I always explain it the best I can. Like there's different eras. Like my era is like you know 2005, but 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 when we missed that crazy, we'll never understand or know what that was like for so for you to come out and be a a pioneer and then go off to even come out and do other things to so always put your neck out there first. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems, it seems like always you always been like like a natural leader. Uh, I I I guess so. I think uh, I I look at things like um. If I'm in a position where I can say something, I will. And mm-hmm. um, I grew up really poor and in and not great environments. So, mm-hmm. you know, if the, no one was saying anything or stepping up to do something, then I would. And um, that's just how I was like that when I was a kid. And I'm, I'm like that now. I feel like if no one's speaking up, why not? You know, and so, uh, so somebody should, should speak for for these people that uh, for and people like me, my, my people, whoever they are, um, we should. And I don't know, you know, it's, it, I thank you for saying that a natural leader, uh, usually translate in, uh, in certain circles as being a bitch, you know, women, when you're, when you take on leadership roles, you're like a bitch or something like that. But mm-hmm. men can be bossy and, you know, rude and, or leaders and they're, mm-hmm. they're seen as that. So um, hopefully that's changing. I mean, you said it, so it must be changing. But uh, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. Thank yeah. You. And uh, I mean, even like uh, your band's just coming out and like you have, you know, people that book festivals trying to ba- blacklist you for just yeah. speak, like speaking your mind. And uh, that's why there's only like a few guests that I- I've had. That like I, I could kind of see like there's no filter, and I, that's mm. those, those are the guests I want. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. I, mean, I just, just well, fucking speak. I'm right here, brother. You know, it's no like, filter. It's like just you know, just speak your mind because people like bands, bands are just afraid or artists are afraid just like to lose what they have, so yes. they, so they won't take that next step. Yes, and when you come out. And say what what you want to say, and then you there's rumors going around that like oh we're going to get blacklisted from this fucking festival, or this mm-hmm. agent doesn't want to work with us, or like and but but you never you, also what you have is you never backtracked. No, that's sick. Never. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, first of all, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, second. When I was really vocal about a lot of things, like uh, when I wrote Warhead, and mm-hmm. that you know I I have military family i mean mm-hmm. most of my uh the men in my family have uh, served in the united states military mm-hmm. um especially the older generation um so when i wrote warhead uh, it wasn't people were bl- saying i was against the troops because i disagreed with the president which mm-hmm. is bush at the time and i was like no 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 i'm i why are we going into iraq you know they didn't attack us mm-hmm. so um I had no problem with us trying to hunt down bin Laden in Afghanistan and anywhere that he was hiding, but he wasn't hiding in Iraq. Mm-hmm. 
So we didn't have, you know, and I, I have mm. the ultimate respect for all our military personnel who go where they're supposed to go and do their jobs and just want to get home to their families. And they want to help, you know, defend the United States of America. I had, um, and I have a lot of veterans, I had a lot of active duty pe- um, personnel still come to my shows and they've given me their medals. They've given me um, uh, different things that they've earned. Uh, I had one um, young woman from the United States Marine Corps who was on, um, she was on leave from Afghanistan and uh, some guy was groping women in the audience and she saw it and he, then he, she, she said something to him and then he groped her and then she proceeded what to just fuck? marine the shit out of this fool. Like she just beat him down so bad his nose looked like a deflated balloon. It was laying on the side of his face. After the show was over, I shook her hand and I gave her some signed stuff she wanted signed and then she gave me the hat that she wore in Afghanistan and I still have it. It smells like sweat and sand. And um, Beautiful. Yeah, and I just feel like, you know, I had a lot of, when I was speaking out, I had a lot of like um, um, bands that are much bigger than me, but I'm friends with their, with the singers or the guitar players or whatever, and they would text me like, that's amazing. Thanks for saying what you're saying. You know, my brother's in the military or my cousin's in the military or thank you for doing that. And I'm thinking, why aren't you doing it? And I would ask them, why are you doing it? You have a yeah. much bigger audience than me. You have yeah. much bigger reach than I do. They said, well, we don't want to divide our audience and we don't want to mm. lose, you know, what we have. You know, we know that you're getting shadow banned. We know you're getting blacklisted from festivals. I mean, honestly, the last traveling festival I did was Ozfest, really? and that's it. Yeah, now I didn't that even I think about that. Oh, I, wow. I tried to get on Mayhem. I didn't realize that. I didn't. I tried to get on Mayhem every year, and they never accept. They didn't even give me a shitty offer. Five hundred bucks, fifty bucks, nothing. They didn't give me a shitty offer. They just didn't want me. I played Notfest hmm. one year. And the guy that, that ran NotFest also ran um, Mayhem. And he came over to me and, and said, th- and, and he was like, did not want me to play that festival. And so we were supposed to play second stage, and they put us on the local stage, even though our dressing room was way across the way uh, at second stage. So hmm. uh, we, but I was like, I don't care. Fuck it. Let's play. Let's play. But wherever they put us, we put us in a parking lot. So, um, about five minutes before we're supposed to go on, I had my guitar player start playing through the speakers. Just I said, just, you know, we call it Jun Juns. I said, just Jun, 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 Jun. And all of a sudden, we were peeking out, and we just saw people running, sprinting across the fields to get to us. And uh, by the time it was over, I mean, I got video of that, too. I, I, I try to get as much evidence as possible to be like, listen, you know, I don't know why you're doing this because – I cut my teeth on festivals. I mean, I like I said, like you brought up earlier. I only did, you know, five, six, seven shows before Ozfest was my seventh or eighth show as a live band. And I mm-hmm. cut my teeth on festivals. I learned how to play festivals. That's how I learned how to, con- you know, audience control and and band control and just what I do live. I learned on festivals. Mm-hmm. We had twenty minutes to play on Ozfest, so you had to cram everything into twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And so um, when the other traveling festivals were going on, and we actually won a poll one year by the fans, who do you want to see on Mayhem? And the OTEP won, and they didn't even offer. I reached out to my agent. I'm like, did we get an offer? No. And so um, after it was over, they're like, oh, well, we'll talk about it. And even um, Slipknot manager came up to me and said, hey, sorry, we had you on the wrong stage. It was a mistake. And I was like, I don't matter. it don't matter. It's cool, man. Don't sure. worry about it. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And that's why, you know, sometimes like haters will come on and they'll be like, all you ever do is headline. Well, there's a, there's a reason why, because 
Um, we don't get offers from other bands because I think they're nervous that we're going to, I'm going to come out and either, you know, well, outplay them and they're going to have to tell me to tone it down again because that not only happened on OzFest, it happened on some other shows that I've done with other people. But it's either that or they just don't, they don't like me. You know, they don't like what I say or what I stand mm-hmm. for, and I don't care. I'm I've been doing this for two decades. My ninth album. I've uh, I'm just gonna keep doing what I do, and if they don't like it, they don't have to. You know, Mayhem's not around anymore, but I am. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think people should be allowed to just be out of control. That's just that's that's, just, that's what I mean. That's music. what I thought. You know, I mean, I was I was there when people uh when on certain festivals that i i played on um different shows where there were other artists who were on main stage where were you know urinating in cups and throwing them on the crowd or throwing them on security doing shit like that and i'm thinking like, like nothing yeah and they're not even getting in trouble for it okay yeah they've out they've sold a lot more records than i have but that gives them more leeway okay how about you give me that same opportunity and see what happens but it just didn't play out that way for me and I've accepted it and, and I'm I'm just doing what I do, man. I just I'm just doing it, you know. And it's 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 weird because I do have a lot of friends in some really big bands and I've actually like reached out to them like, hey, you know, y- you played on one of my records. you know, I heard you guys are getting getting back together and you're going out. What about taking me, man? You know, you can come out and play one of the songs you helped me write and nope. Not even a not even a reply. So I've just accepted it. This is this is my existence. This is my reality, and I'm just gonna keep doing what I do. You know. Why do you? Oh, why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I I don't know because I know that there was there are other political bands that are much more political than I am. Fever three three three. They're extremely mm-hmm. political. Great band. I like them a lot. Um, but they're they're. I think as far as politically, they're probably far left than I am, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that like that was a big excuse. Oh, she's too liberal or, mm-hmm. you know, she's too, um, you know, she's going to talk. She's going to give a political speech on stage or something like that. And I never mm-hmm. I don't do that. You know, I, I, I play music. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. It's a it's a conundrum. And I stopped trying to figure it out a few years ago because it just kept breaking my heart, really because I really wanted to be out there and I really wanted to play. And I'm like, I sell tickets, I sell merch, I kick ass on stage, my band kicks ass on stage, it's not just me. We do our jobs. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna have any problems with us. You're not, you know, no one's gonna have any problem. We're just gonna go up there and, and rock the house and give everybody a, you know, a memory. And that's what I thought you know, these, these things are for, but some people just have it in their minds that they just don't like me, so. I don't know. That's it's weird. weird. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very weird. Yeah. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of what you want in an in industry. You want someone that's kind of, uh, she, you know, she might be a little bit political. Who cares? You want, you, you, you want that kind of energy on a tour package. That and, and the social issues too, you know. I think, I think there was a time early on in my career when people didn't know that I was, I was a lesbian. And mm-hmm. so they thought, you know, a lot of the people thought, oh, she'll come you know, I had a I had a radio guy once. Radio, he's a, a programmer for a radio station, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me, he's like, "Hey, me and my girlfriend, we're going back to the house. We're gonna party. You know, we're gonna cut up some lines. We're gonna we're gonna drink, and we're gonna sit in the hot tub. You wanna come?" 
And first of all, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, so sitting in like a hot tub of strangers, it's like a petri dish. I'm not really interested in that. First of all, <laughs> I don't know what you've been doing in that hot tub, and I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. And also, I just I've got a show tomorrow. I can't go out and like hang out with you, and I don't do drugs like that. And respect to people that do their own thing. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I've got to sing tomorrow, so I can't be up all night, and I I don't and I you know you want to sit around and go get a coffee and talk about, you know, Hunter S. Thompson or, you know, mm. a, a favorite writer of mine or something like that. We can do that. We can, we can hang out. But if we're, I don't, I, I just have no interest in going hanging out with you and like your stripper girlfriend and no disrespect <laughs> to that either. Like, you know, everybody's got their own thing, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's like, it wasn't. So those things just started to build up over time, I think. Mm-hmm. And people started to get this without ever even talking to me or my, or my representatives, like what's she like? You know, what is she like? You know, is mm-hmm. she going to give us trouble? Is there going to be problems? But what trouble? Like, we don't destroy hotel rooms. We don't we don't destroy green rooms. We don't do any of that shit. Like, we just play music. That's all we do. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't like the music, I always tell them, then don't listen. You know, if you don't, yeah, why, why does it matter to you so much? Like, why do you, why do you care? Like, you just come on my Facebook. You don't even, like, you can just, like, start talking shit about rumors and things that don't, that are 15 years old. And have been disproven by now and yet why you know like it i you don't i don't take away anything from your favorite bands my music doesn't take away from that person's favorite bands it doesn't take away from your life and at all i'm just doing what i can do to the best of my ability and if you don't like it don't listen when you when you made it public that you were lesbian mm-hmm. did, did you really was did the divisiveness start there did you know any kind of like oh wait things are getting kind of weird um, it started on, I mean, I never like, it was like, hello, I'm a lesbian, <laughs> everybody, hide your women. Um, I didn't do that. I, I just, my girlfriend came out and visited me on OzFest one time and we mm. were, it was, you know, we already played our set. So, you know, on second stage, it's done by six o'clock or whatever. So we've got the rest of the day. So we were just, we'd gone to catering and we were just sitting out in a field somewhere, you know, cause that's all it is. It's all fields everywhere, you know? And so we were just sitting out in a field, just being girlfriends, just talking and eating and hanging out. And somebody took a photo. Uh, I don't remember this, like MTV was still big and all that kind of stuff, mm. you know. So somebody took a photo of us and um, it got out. And then I had randos coming up and saying, hey, so you like girls? And I, I said, yeah. A random person said that to you. Yeah. And I, they were someone in, that was in authority. They were like a show buyer. And mm. uh, I said, yep. I do. And they're like, I do too. And I said, great. We got something in common. <laughs> and he goes, well, do you want a third? And I said, no, 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 no. You're misunderstanding. What you watch on Pornhub is not real life. Like you're not going to walk into my house and like see my girlfriend walking around in a towel and we're going to be like, oh, my God, a man. Like that's just what we needed. Like that's just not what happens. It's like some dude comes over to your house and is like, hey, here's your hot girlfriend. Like let's – you need a third? I mean what – how yeah, would you – beat him up. Right, exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like what am I – how am I supposed to react to that? Yeah. So I just – politely go no i don't and you know i like women the way you like women and i like and i like men the way you like men and Mm -hmm. you know and the 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 strange thing is that i also got like a lot of you know i wrote men aside in the first record and that's Mm -hmm. about predators and rapists and pedophiles and all that but then Mm -hmm. i get like all these these um 
I got awarded the um, Psychopath of the Century Award by a men's rights group um, who I said, you're defending pedophiles and rapists and predators and groomers and that's uh, sex traffickers. That's what you're doing. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. You hate men. I was like, no, I, I have... I have a bunch of brothers who are my best friends, and my whole band is male. My agent is male. My lawyer's male. Um, my bus driver. I mean, what are you talking about? Like, it doesn't mean, mm -hmm. you know, well, you just don't like me. No, I, I don't know you, so how can I dislike you? But mm -hmm. I look at you like uh, a Ken doll. You know, I don't notice anything below the waist. This is not in me, you know? Just like mm -hmm. I guess you would probably, as a man, you would look at other men. Like, you probably don't think, like... What that? What that guy? What it feel like if that guy mounted me right now? You know, like, like mm -hmm. what? It doesn't even enter my mind, you know. Um, and the other thing that I think people misconstrue is that I've had deep, deep relationships with men um, that were not sexual, but they were intimate, and that's mm -hmm. it, it, there was an in, uh, um, an emotional intimacy there, mm -hmm. um, and we connected through art or 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 something, uh, activism. Something like that, and it's it. I became really close, you know. I mean, in some regards, in the emotional intimacy was even more than like, you know, these, uh, you know, some of the gay for a day or gay for Otep girls, you know, like they, mm -hmm. uh, they, it, that, they meant more to me than the sex did, you know, like mm -hmm. when I had with women, you know, it's like it, it was a really meaningful relationship, and um, I still have some with with men like that. It's just. People have this idea that you either are, you know, you either are straight or gay or you're not or it's a choice. And I'm like, it's mm. not a choice. Like, when did you choose to be straight? Because then if mm. you're saying it's a choice, then you can also choose to be gay. And I can hook you up with any number of, you know, well, my brother was alive. I could hook you up with any of his friends, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not a choice, you know. And, like, people will come back and say, oh, when I saw my, my – uh, second grade teacher's boobs or something. I know when I noticed her boobs or something like that, I'm mm -hmm. like, well, same, same, you know, it just, it's, a, it's not, I didn't choose to have freckles. I didn't choose to have blonde hair. I didn't choose to be this badass and I didn't choose to be gay. You know, it's like, what, how would, how did, it's just, it's just weird thinking for that. Now, luckily it's yeah. a lot of that's changed even in um, the aggressive music genre, it's changing and that's good. That's good. We're seeing progress. Um, some of the louder voices want us to regress, you know, yeah. and that's okay. That's what usually happens when a movement is dying. They start to scream. They start to get louder and louder yeah. and louder. And it's up to us who are trying to move things forward and be more progressive and more accepting and, mm -hmm. and more diverse to be louder than those that are, you know, diminishing beneath our boots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like everyone is just getting really loud right now. Everybody. Especially in some of the in the red states, and we played a lot of those red states, and I was ex I was expecting to get because that was when um, a lot of the militias and stuff were going around, and they were protesting drag shows, and and uh, if you weren't if you in in certain states if you didn't dress according to your biological um, gender, then you could be arrested, mm -hmm. and so uh, I was. I called my lawyer and I said, well, what about me? I don't dress, I dress in, like, I wear tank tops and Adidas pants and sneakers. Like, what, is that, is that feminine enough for, am I going to get arrested? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just go see what happens. Hmm. So I did and I didn't, you know. Uh, but I was, I was hoping that they'd show up. I was really hoping they'd show up. I enjoy, I, I, there's a part of me that really enjoys having 
discourse, honest discourse or dishonest mm. discourse, depending on where it's going, sure. with people that are bigots or who have that that sort of very limited thinking because yeah. they're puddles, you know. And once you get once you smash a puddle, boom, you're just left with muck. And there's not left, there's not a whole lot you can do with muck, mm-hmm. you know, other than just you know, uh, wipe it off your shoe. So. Uh, uh, this is where people get, I think, this thing about me where like, oh, well, she's comparing herself to the ocean and she's calling these other people puddles. Well, that's the way I feel. I mean, I'm being honest. That's the way I feel. You want to be a puddle and you want to go up against the ocean? Be my guest. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when um, we played somewhere in Florida and there was a bunch of um, conservatives who were protesting across the street. Uh, and it was right where Target was, you know, and like on the road. It's like, Target, oh, man, let's go to Target, you know. Uh, buy something, get some... Get off the bus. And uh, they all, as soon as I came across the street, they all just descended upon me. And each one was there for a different reason. And they were all barking at me for different things. You know, you're a communist. You're a socialist. Well, I can't be both because those are competing ideologies. Um, Oh, you're this, you're that, you're this. And so then I just started arguing with each one. Mm. And then I had them. And by arguing with each one or debating each one, depending on how you want to say it, then they started to argue with each other. And once they started to argue with each other, I left. Oh, my goodness. And, that's sick. Yeah. And so when I got back, they were all gone after I was done. I was like, see, that's how you comp- – because a lot of these people, don't, they're, they're all there for different reasons, you know, mostly. Yeah. It's either taxes or the this or that or this, social movements, or it's the smaller government, or it's about, you know, cultural issues and things. And if you can get them arguing amongst themselves, then you don't have to – they do your job for you. So you just, I just leave. <laughs> kind of sounds like YouTube comments. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I, I don't even, I don't even read YouTube don't, comments. Nope. Don't I read don't. any comments. Or blabbermouth. Yeah. I don't read there either, them either. No, because it, because it, it seeps in your psyche. It just kind of just gets in there. I just feel like, and also I just feel like, who are you people? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you just like, uh, cause I'll have people tell me like, you know, this, 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 this about a band. And I'm like, right, what band are you in? How about you, sh- you, you, oh, I don't have one. Okay, start a band in this climate, start a band and write, write 10 songs. I'll give you 11 because that's what they normally, that's normally what record companies are doling out now, 11. Um, I always do more even though I don't get paid for it because I think the fans deserve more than 11 songs, but whatever. Um, I said, you write 10 songs, show me how it's done, go out, have a 20-year career, write mm-hmm. nine albums worth of material. And those are the only the songs that made it. I've written more than, you know, however many songs I've written that have made it onto a record. Um, and then I'll listen to your point of view. But until then, I, I you you know, it's like you're telling me the sky's purple. I don't. It's not. So I don't care. You know, it's it doesn't it doesn't really bother me that much. Sometimes I'll go on if I do go onto a YouTube and people are are being just rude or whatever. I'll just be like, I'll just leave a little snide comment or something funny, you know, just mm-hmm. to like fuck with them. And they, it, they lose their energy real quick after that, you know. Mm-hmm. Or say something really nice back. Yeah. Just like, thank you for the constructive criticism. I'll, I'll consider that really next time nice. from a stranger that I didn't ask for your opinion at all. But thank you, you know. <laughs> and that's part of what you have to learn when you get in to the music industry is that, you know, 
you're going to have critics. You're going to have people who don't know anything about music, but have an opinion, you know, and everybody mm -hmm. has that. And that's what, you know, they used to call them armchair quarterbacks. People never played football, but they, mm -hmm. you know, can want to tell the coach how to coach the team or the quarterback yeah. who to throw to and all that. You're not always going to have these people who think they know more than the people that actually do it. And, um, I just, I just, like I said, I, it's like telling me that, you know, the sky's purple. It isn't. So I'm not worried about it. Earth's not flat. I'm not worried about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It used to uh, it quite is? a bit. Yeah. I used to, I used to think like, what am I doing wrong? Cause I didn't, like, I didn't know anything about music. So what am I doing wrong now? Cause after I wrote Seven Straw, I wrote House of Secrets and House of Secrets was a concept record mm -hmm. and it's vastly different than Seven Straw. You know, mm -hmm. really, really different. And so people came, a lot of my fans, actually, even, who love Sevastraw, hated House of Secrets. Really? Hated it. Now, Why? they love it. They love it. They're like, why, why aren't you playing Buried Alive? Why aren't you playing that live? And I'm like, I thought you guys hated the record. Like, I know, I know you. I know you. I saw, I, I remember your name. You're, I remember your name. And uh, Why'd they hate it? I, because it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Sevastraw. You know, it wasn't. Mm. Most of my albums are each, each. I don't want to write the same record every time. Mm -hmm. There are some bands where you could play me their most recent record and their first record, and I think I can't tell you which song is which. Mm -hmm. I don't know, and that's okay for some people. That's what they do, and that's fine. Um, but for me, I just get bored, and I always want to, you know, progress or challenge myself and and write something new. You know, every mm -hmm. time, and so. That's what I try to do anyway. You have, you, uh, from the first record to the, to the second one, you probably, you, you and the band probably had an insane, probably year and a half too. Yeah. And like, like what were your relationships, relationships like with Moke and, uh, Evil Jane and Rob at that, at that point? Uh, well, that's let's a, see. That, that's a lot to take in. It is. I know that one, uh, one of the musicians, came on the bus one time and said, I'm going to have a shirt made that says, no, I don't know where Otep is. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, that them always want, getting an autograph and then someone asking, where's Otep? I think that affected them, mm. their it's ego. It's tough. So by the time we went in to write House of Secrets, there was, I think there was already a building resentment. Oh, no. Yeah, so... Luckily, we worked with this great producer who's gone on to like gigantic fame now. He's he's doing musicals and movies and stuff now. His name's Greg Wells, um, and he he'd worked with the Deftones before. And that's Terry actually recommended him, and so did my A and R who recommended Terry. So I trusted him, and I'm glad I did because Greg is he's a multi instrumentalist, and he's just he's an amazing he he becomes part of the band. He's just one mm -hmm. of those producers, you know. He just eats everything up, listens to everything, reads your, you know, reads your lyrics, just tr to try to understand, like, absorb it, be a part of the energy and in the room. And, and so uh, when we started writing House of Secrets, and I had all these just, just different wild ideas that I wanted to do for that record, uh, some of the musicians, they, they didn't want to, they didn't want to do it. So um, uh, two of them left, and uh, the drummer and the guitar player left. And uh, so we had, um, rest in peace, we had a, a Joey Jordison from Slipknot came in mm -hmm. and played five songs on my second album. And that was like incredible. And I was like, holy shit, like I got Joey in here, you know, and I was such a fan, you know. But he was so sweet and such, and, and no ego at all. Like he sat in that drum room, he's like, 
how was that? You know, did I do good? Is that okay? <laughs> did you guys like it? We're like, oh my God, we loved it. Um, and so I, I think at that, and then Greg played a lot of, you know, Greg uh, stepped in and played a lot of, of, of the guitar parts and the bass player stepped in and played a lot of the guitar parts as well. And, and we ended up just, you know, making this, I think it was my first concept album really. So um, I, it's one of my favorite albums. And now it's everybody else's favorite too. So that's when I learned at that point to just stop listening to people mm-hmm. and just follow your creative instincts. Wherever the muses lead you, you go. And um, if you believe it, then other people will believe it. They'll know mm-hmm. if you're faking it. They'll know if you're doing it for just for other reasons. You know, people call it sellout. It was like a big deal, like in the old days. Like, oh, you're just a sellout. Sold out. You sold out. Yeah, I sell out clubs. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I sell out shows, man. But... Um, I I just decided, you know, at this point, you know, I'm I, I'm what I'm doing is honest, you know, what mm-hmm. I at least to me it is. Uh, everything that I write comes from a, a, a deep dark place in my soul and my heart, and um, it, when I if I bring it to life on a record, then it's meaningful to me. And uh, I remember when I wrote um, Apex Predator off the Hydra album, which is only my second. I did that's my second concept album I ever did. Apex Predator is kind of like a goth rap kind of song and um the band at the, the band i had at the time hated it and they were just like nobody the no one's gonna like this it's not metal you know oh and i'm goodness. just just wait just yeah. wait first show we did on the tour every fan there was a pit there was every fan knew the words they were singing along and it was amazing same thing when i wrote equal rights equal lefts um that has like a trap beat in it you know it's in threes, you know. I am a pariah, and every, you know, it's like it's 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 not your typical like, you know, metal song. It's not mm-hmm. really at all. It's a it's it's, and that actually happened to me. It's based on a true story. Um, I I got I, I went to Hawaii on a, <laughs> uh, I took my girlfriend at the time to uh, Hawaii for our anniversary. I'm one of these. Uh, romantic sensitive types it's like oh it's our three-month anniversary we should celebrate it's our six-month anniversary we should celebrate um and so i think it was our six-month anniversary we went to hawaii and uh we just got done surfing and some guy comes over i just feel this big paw on my shoulders i'm trying to get my my um my surf suit off my wetsuit off and and uh i turn around and there's this guy there he's older guy he's got this big pompadour type hair do and uh little man boobs, little belly, looked like he'd been working out with like 15 pound weights, uh, dumbbells for a long time because he had a little bit of a little, 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 little bicep area, but Sick. skipped leg day for like 35 years. So he's like, you know, little sticks and just sunbaked, man. I mean, just sunbaked. And he goes, um, he goes, oh, happy Father's Day. And I said, and it was Father's Day. So I was like, oh, thanks. I'll tell my dad. He goes, oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I thought you were a man. And I was like, and that's a that's that's a very typical thing for like straight guys to say because he'd saw me and her like kiss after we'd got done mm. surfing you know for our anniversary, and so um, <laughs> he I said uh, he's like oh, I thought you were a man I was like oh don't worry about it dude I was like I saw the man titties on you and I thought you were a woman I was gonna tell you that the topless beach is down the street you know <laughs> so sick. he's like oh you got some mouth on you huh and I said well you can go ask her she'll tell you and then he goes ah you're one of those. I said, one of yeah. those. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I didn't know what he meant, but I was like, yeah, I'm one of those. I'm exactly one of those. So he took a step back and he brought up his right hand. He goes, so you believe in equal rights, huh? So I was, so I, 
I used to box. And uh, so I took my stance and I put my left hand up and I go, yeah, and I believe in equal lefts too. And then we stood there for a second just staring at each other and then he walked away and got it on his like old man motorcycle and, you know, <laughs> drove away. He had like the big saddlebags and all that. Supposed to be like cop motorcycle, but he wasn't a cop. By that time, all of the surf instructors come running over like, what's up, Otep? What happened? What happened? And I'm like, I don't know. That guy fucking was fucking with me. And then they said, uh, oh, shit, him. And I, I, they were, I was like, what? And they're like, oh, leave it to you to pick the one guy that nobody will fuck with on the beach. And I don't know if he's like former, like was in the mob or something. I have no idea. But like nobody, like the surf instructors are all tough guys. Like they were, they wouldn't mess with him. Really? Yeah. And they just let him drive. They just, he just drove off. So I was like, okay, whatever. But yeah, so when I wrote that song, mm. same thing. Band was like, oh no, no one's going to like this song. No one's going to like it. And we get out there and uh, sure enough. First, we I said this. Put your fists in the air. The song goes out to everybody that believes in equality. Everybody cheers, and then I say the song's called Equal Rights, Equal Lefts. Whole place erupts. Song comes in with the Inception horns that, and then we just start going in, and then uh, the everybody's headbanging, they're grooving, pits going, and they're singing along, and then as soon as we get to the chorus, equal rights, equal lefts, fight for your rights, and then everybody's just fists up, pounding, and it was just this amazing, and after the show was over, I was like, see, <laughs> they like it, you know, because, and I, I try to tell like a lot of younger bands, like, don't be afraid, don't lock yourself into a genre, you mm -hmm. know, if you feel it, play it, and when you go on stage, feel it, because if you feel it, the audience will mm -hmm. recognize that you feel it and they'll respect you for it whether they like the song or not they'll respect you for it mm -hmm. give it everything you got uh, as long as you believe in it you know and that's been what i've done you know my whole career like if i believe in it i'm gonna do it you you believe what you say you say it you believe what what you write and you, you perform it on stage you're the whole the whole thing mm -hmm. I, th I think the way you are off stage also affects the way you are on you know which i yeah that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking throw down everywhere. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't, I, you know, that's, that's also a, a thing that I don't, you know, um, I'm not, I'm territorial. I'm not, I'm not a, um, I'm not a bully. I hate bullies, in fact. So if I see somebody that's out and about and picking on somebody or they try to come at me, because a lot of times they will, they'll come at women in aggressive ways. And, um, you know, I'm usually... I, I try to put them in like this. I'm not the one. This is the wrong. I'm the wrong one to be fucking with right now. Like just go find somebody else or don't, you know, but this is not a safe uh, exercise for you. <laughs> uh, this is not going to end up how you think. This is I not promise. And uh, so it's, that's just me, man. You know, I am who I am. Maybe in a weird way that, that that's helped you just really cultivate thick skin. Sure, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways it has to. I mean, especially when you grow up really poor and, you know, we went to like a mixed mixed schooling where like kids were really, really wealthy or middle class or working mm -hmm. class. And we were like the lower working class, poverty class. So we're like buying our clothes at, at, at Goodwill and, you know, Army Navy surplus or hand-me-downs for my older brothers. And, mm -hmm. and so you go to school and you get picked on a lot for that. Cause you know, kids are cruel and they're going to pick on whatever, uh, they can. And I've had this deep voice since I was four years old. I was the big bad wolf in my kindergarten play for the fifth graders because mm -hmm. no one else had the deepest, I had the deepest voice in the school. But um, I think that also, you know, there's a lot of things they can take from you, you know, but uh, the way I was raised, but they can't take away your dignity. 
and they can't take away your self-respect unless you let them. And no one's taken that away from me ever. And that's the way I've lived my life. That's what's up. Yeah. One last question. Uh, what do you think is, because you're, per- you're, the, you're the perfect person to ask, what do you think is missing in metal today? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I know you are. No, well, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm running really fast. I'm ready to run. <laughs> this is nice. Who gave this to you? Is it yours? Our, our bandwagon driver, uh, oh, Ro- nice. Rowan Cloud. He's a native. Oh, excellent. Do you know what tribe? Ex, ex what addict? nation? Uh, no. Ex addict, uh, so, sober now. Oh, so fantastic. great, great pure hearted guy. Yeah, right on. Um, I'm sorry, what's missing from metal today? Metal, uh, geez, I just, you know, uh, what's great is that, uh, I've been doing a lot of interviews and podcasts since, um, since the, uh, the new records coming out, and everyone's like, you know, new metal's coming back out, new metal's coming. It's, it's, you know, I was just mm-hmm. at some festival, and there's all these new bands, and everybody's doing new metal again, and I'm like, great. You know, because I thought that was one of the most exciting times in music because there was, you know, I was talking about the Deftones before. Like, the Deftones have a DJ. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. one of the most exciting dynamic bands in the world also has a DJ who's cutting tracks in the back, you know? Uh, Same thing with Slipknot. You know, they got a DJ. They got a guy that plays um, keys. They got, got, you know, three percussionists. They've got, uh, they got a guy that plays samples. I mean, it's, it was just an exciting time because you could just bring in, it was like fusion bands, you know, you could Mm. just bring in all of your inspirations. And that's what I try to, whenever, if if I ever get asked uh, from new bands, local bands, whatever, you know, what can we do? And I'm like, listen to, don't just listen to your genre. I mean, of course, study your genre if that's what you, the music you love, but listen to other things, you know, you might get inspired by it, you know, uh, some of my favorite guitar players also are flamenco players, you know, and they play with their fingernails and, you know, but they can also like shred like nobody's business, you know. Um, and uh, especially uh, I think, you know, I try to tell them like, you know, just open your mind to different types of music and different inspirations and, and you know, s- singers read more than you write. That's just, you know, that's just a common law for writers you know you always read more than you write Mm. fill your mind with words but i i think that um as far as you know for me um i wish i had more opportunities to play uh than just headlining all the time i wish i wish i had that unfortunately that just isn't going to be i don't think that's ever going to change for me so um and that's okay i'm just going to keep doing what i do um, but as far as music is concerned, what's missing, um, I mean, what we're seeing now with the, with the, the diversity and the, and the progress and people owning um, what they say and what they're doing, I think it's great. And uh, I hope to see more of that. Cool. Yeah. Well, Otep, uh, it was an honor to actually hang out with you. Yeah, man. It's you know, good. It's, it's good badass. Yeah. This well. is my life. This is mine. This is me sitting across from Christmas Suicide Science. Oh my goodness! It's badass. So crazy. So, so the new record came out uh, on the fifteenth, right? It did. Cool. September fifteenth. Yeah. The what made you actually? Okay, one one more. Uh, What made you? Nine more questions. Okay, nine more. What made you cover the uh, Eminem song? Ah, well, Mr. Mathers has been a big inspiration for me as far as a lyricist and just his cadence and everything. And honestly, that was the hardest song for me to, to cover vocally as a vocalist. Why? Uh, his timing is just so wild. He'll start on a three and end on a four and then start on a two and end on a one. I mean, it's, mm. it's, it's just he has just this incredible. And so I think also a lot of the things that we've discussed today about, you know, um, I am – 
whatever you say I am, you know, I, and, and if, and, and if I wasn't, then why would I say I am, you know, that, that, those lyrics, I, every song that I covered on this album started from a lyrical perspective. Can mm-hmm. I relate? And what we were talking about before with genres, I think so many people lock themselves into a genre that they're, that even if the song would be meaningful to them, they wouldn't listen because, mm-hmm. oh no, it's, that's pop music or, yeah. you know, uh, and even outside of our genre, like people won't listen to aggressive music. Oh, cause it's too heavy. It's too heavy. So when I covered Olivia Rodrigo, you know, and I, I, I did, I did, uh, alter the, the lyrics just a little bit to reflect my life. I did that with a lot of the songs as well. Um, no one, most, a lot of my fans might not listen to Olivia Rodrigo, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but the song itself has a great message and great lyrics. And um, I, so for me, it was about, it's a, it was about choosing songs that meant something to me that I thought my fans could also find meaning in and would be beneficial to them, to their ears. And uh, it's like what we did with the Beach Boys, California Girls, you know, that's like a beach pop surf song from the early 60s but i'm a big true crime person so i was like i just finished watching some documentaries on like ted bundy and you know all these different serial killers and then i uh, was looking through different songs to cover and i came across california girls and i started reading the lyrics and i was like whoa if you take out the you know you take all that out and you just read what he's saying wow that's dark this is a guy that is objectifying women all over the country at least that's how I read it. Maybe that's not how mm-hmm. the original writer intended it, but the way I read it, this guy's dissecting women throughout all over the country mm-hmm. and wants to build the perfect woman and he wants to put them in his hunting ground, California. You know, and so interesting. And so when I when I when yeah, so when I wrote the song, I wanted it to be dark. I wanted it to have some sort of like you know, uh, sexual obsession to it, but and I wanted to sing it from the person that wrote it, so it has this kind of like obsession, seduction, darkness to it. Maybe it's a little sexy in a very, very dark way, but also dangerous in a very important way. And so that's that's why I chose that song. But every song, every song. Somebody asked me why I chose Territory Pissings uh, from Nirvana instead of covering like Heart Shaped Box or whatever. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, everybody covers that, you know. And uh, yeah. But also I like a lot of Nirvana's B-side stuff or, or their lesser known stuff. And Territory Pissings is amazing. It's like a true punk rock song. And, you know, we just beefed it up just a little bit. We didn't have to do a whole lot to that one. I've added some things in the bridge, but other than that is it was that. But, um, yeah, and then the Billie Eilish song, same thing, you know, and just on down. And then Pet and then Lil Peep. And, I mean, we just, we, you know, we did, uh, we just, like I said, I just went in on whatever songs meant something to me. The label wanted me to cover like hair metal bands, and I was like, I why? I don't. I think they like hair metal bands, mm. and I was like, I don't. So I'm if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. Because it was it was a COVID deal. They actually came to me and said, Hey, we want you to do a cover record, and I'd never mm-hmm. done one before. I'd, I'd covered songs in the past, but mm-hmm. never did a cover album. So they said they wanted eight cover. I said, I I, I don't want to do a whole cover record. They said, okay, eight eight covers and three originals, mm. or two originals. And I said, well, I'll do three. And then I put my brother's voicemail at the very end. So that's smart. Yeah. Now now it's in it's in your music forever. Yeah, it is a lifetime. Yeah, man. Well, Otep again, it was great to hang out with you. Yeah. I'm honored. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, my man. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I'm everywhere, pretty much. If you, I'm on Facebook, Otep official. Instagram, I'm not really much on Twitter anymore because it's 
garbage. Yeah, uh, it's toxic. A, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a dumpster fire now. It's dumpster uh, fire. I'm sick. on I'm on Threads and uh, but mainly uh, you know just the you, I'm, on, uh, I'm on I don't really mess around with TikTok too much, but I have a TikTok account. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty much Facebook, Instagram, Threads. That's where you'll find me. Otep official on all of them. Cool. Oh, and check out the new record. Just came out last week. And uh, yeah, that's it. Appreciate it. Later. Later.